Welcome to Burning the Ship, everyone. Thank you for coming back. This is the podcast where we connect entrepreneurs with professionals that can help you go all in on your business. Uh, our guest today is Dylan Delater. I appreciate you being here, my friend. We're going to learn a little bit about what it takes to gain some skills in one industry and transition them over to, to something else. All right. um, it's, a, it's a skill. It's uh, something that's going to you know look to be passed down. Hopefully, some people in our audience can think about what skills they can develop right now that's going to bode well for them in the future. So, why don't you tell us how you're doing today? Introduce a uh, you know what what business you're in now a little bit and then we'll kind of dive in uh you know talk through everything's chronologically so all righty well uh yeah man today's today's beautiful sunny weather which is fantastic because you know the past two weeks have been terrible with rain which sucks in the industry i'm in because sure. i'm in you know exterior renovations on on residential and commercial properties and we also do uh insurance restoration as well so Sure. So you're in the roofing industry now. Do you guys do more than that? You guys do siding, decks, all those things as well? Yeah. I like to say is it's pretty much everything exterior. Sure. Except for garage doors. We're not in garage doors yet. That's a that's a whole different animal. But right. pretty much everything exterior. Uh, we can do interior painting and interior drywall work. But if I pay labor by the day, not sure. by the hour. So if I have to move around a bunch of bedrooms and beds and furnitures and your teenage daughter's boy band poster on the wall has to come down before I paint the wall, then it turns a five-day project into a 10-day project. Sure. Well, I got to pay the guys a living wage every single day. Sure. So that $5,000 interior paint job is now up 7000 or 8000 because it's a longer process. So. Sure. So it just kind of depends. Well, tell me, let's back up a little bit because I, I want to give people some, some preface to what it is that you're going to tell. Where are you from? I am from Stewart, Florida, cool. which... If How'd you, know, you get here? I uh, took a wrong turn somewhere. Yeah. Now, so <laughs> I grew up in Stewart, Florida, which if you know nothing about Florida, it's halfway between Miami and Orlando on the East Coast, just north of West Palm. So little town there, maybe 200, 300,000 people. Um, grew up there. I went to Florida State University, and I got my degree in hospitality administration, which was in the business department. So that's a fancy word of saying I got my degree to be a restaurant manager. Sure. When I was at there, you know, the Debbin School of Hospitality at Florida State's got a fantastic program with almost 100% placement. You get a degree from that program, you're getting a job, which is great. Um, and they had a career fair. Had a little career fair and talking to, you know, a couple different hotels, a couple different restaurants, and end up with a, a restaurant chain um, that's based out of Houston, Texas, and ended up doing an internship up in Cincinnati, Ohio. So had some family up there and stayed with the grandparents and made a little commute down to Cincinnati, did my internship, and then ended up getting a job offer from my internship with that restaurant company. So I did four years up in Cincinnati, Ohio, uh, did well enough where their regional supervisor said, hey, we're opening a restaurant in Birmingham, Alabama. Do you want to come down and be the, the AGM or the number two? So came down, went to Birmingham, Alabama, opened up a restaurant there, which was pulling pulling your hair out sure. <laughs> if you've never done anything in the restaurants it's insane to be a brand what new year restaurant. was that that was 2014 sure so i graduated birmingham's been growing like crazy the yeah. last like three years that's why i was asking it's probably I mean, it probably was growing like crazy then but oh most definitely just the technology there's been wild the last couple of years so. yeah so i graduated fsu at 2010 moved to birmingham 2014 and I'd get married out there. And then the wife, she works for Zillow. Mm -hmm. So she got transferred out here to Atlanta. And I said, well, I married you. I guess I'm going to follow you. So I sure. <laughs> said, all right, let's go to, let's go to, let's go to Atlanta. 
So I ended up transferring with the company and was working at the restaurant in Marietta. And then uh, after that, then we got blessed with 2020. Sure. 2020 comes rolling around. Sure. And so you're in the in the restaurant industry up until the pandemic. Explain like what we were talking about out there, kind of your rationale behind leaving that industry. So it was one of those things where it's this is February and March. You know, all the news is starting to come out. I think December was the first case out in Washington. And then there was a case up in New York. And then it's like, all right, if you've seen any pandemic movie or any horror movie with you know, bacteria, germs, or diseases, whatever it is, it starts exponentially. So, I mean, this is middle of March, and I'm looking around, and no one really knows how bad this is going to get. My company ended up shutting down about half the restaurants, and what they were doing is they were furloughing the managers. And what furloughing is, is is, is I'm I'm not firing you, not laying you off. You're still an employee, but you don't have access to your vacation hours. And you don't have access to health benefits. So you're still an employee, but, you know, you don't have access to the stuff that you need. So they're furloughing these managers. And then it got to the Atlanta market. And then the shut down one store and moved those managers to the other sister locations in the Atlanta market. And I'm looking around and we went from about $500,000 in gross revenue every week to about $50,000 in gross revenue every week. I'm doing the math and I'm thinking to myself, all right, there's about 13, 14 supervisors, general, or sorry, there are 14 salaried managers. Yeah, and there's running. not 14 weeks of the No, month. no, no. Yeah. And these salary managers making somewhere between fifty to $65,000 on average, and I'm just sort of doing some little mental math. I'm like, they can't afford all of us. Right. And again, this is, this is getting towards the end of March. So again, we really had no idea how bad it was going to get, but I decided, all right, I've been thinking about leaving the restaurant industry, you know, newly married, wife works nine to five. If you've never done the restaurant industry hours, if you're a manager and they say jump, you say, okay, what time? So sometimes I would open the restaurant and have to be there at six, six thirty. Sometimes I would come in at 11 and work till 10. Sometimes I would come in at 3 PM and work till 2 AM in the morning. And this is the Atlanta, which is sort of the perimeter of a Metro Atlanta. Sure. I live in Douglasville, which is half an hour commute pending traffic. Right. So it's, it's one of those, it's, all right, I've been thinking about leaving for some time, and this was just sort of my sign, so to speak, the light bulb that went off and said, all right, maybe now it's time to actually not jump ship, but time to make a transition. Sure. So I turned in a uh, turned in a six-week notice because the manager schedules were made for uh, four weeks at a time. So I worked out two weeks, and after two weeks, they said, all right, you're too expensive, bye. Sure. I was fortunate that they at least paid out my three weeks of vacation hours. Sure. So technically speaking, they laid me off after two weeks, and I got my vacation hours, and I was I was fine with that. I was sure. at peace. So tell me some of those skills that you developed in the management space in the restaurant industry mm-hmm. that you took with you to the exterior innovations roofing industry. So it's one of those things in the restaurant industry is depending on the menu of the restaurant – you can work at a lower tiered quality menu. I can go to McDonald's and get a cheeseburger for a buck. I can go to an Applebee's or a Chili's and get the 
bottomless chips and salsa and two-for-one drinks and the most extensive many thing is uh, maybe $29 for a dinner for two. You get right. an appetizer and you split two entrees and that kind of thing. Then you have sort of that middle upper tier. So in that middle upper tier, you still have your $15.99 chicken and french fries kind of meal mm-hmm. or a piece of fried fish and some french fries or you know a little chicken Caesar salad for $15.99. But then you're also dealing with a... Forty nine ninety five, prime ribeye steak, or two pounds of Alaskan king crab for fifty nine ninety five, big money. So at the same time, you could have one table sit next to the other table, and you could deal with a lower income blue collar worker who's you know struggling to to take his family out, and maybe they're splitting one entree between the husband and wife and two kids, and the next table. You could have uh, a a wealthy CEO or a a a wealthy hip hop artist. We're in Atlanta, and they're they're buying expensive bottles of wine and shots all around. So as a as a server or as a manager, you need to be able to quickly adapt to any situation that you come across, and you need to be able to uh, uh, talk to all different forms of of people at different stages of their life and be able to empathize with any situation because if something goes wrong, two things can go wrong, two exact same things can go wrong with both those tables. This table over here who who saved up their money for two or three weeks to take their family out on one dinner, that, that could be a devastating thing, that one small thing going wrong with their meal. Whereas this table over here, uh, we can let it slide. So you have to learn how to talk to people. Sure. And that's the biggest thing. Sure. You have to talk to people like they're people. Right. Talked about dollars, amounts, and numbers, but they're both humans. They're all human people, and you have to talk to them like people. What type of effect did this have like on the skills that you walk around with you in day-to-day life as you're getting more of this experience in the restaurant industry? So I don't want to say I'm a type A personality, you know, uh, but at the same time, I'm, I'm not an introvert. Sure. You know, I have no problem talking to a complete stranger. Now, I don't think I've always had that skill. I think that grew with me as a, as a, as a person when I came fresh out of college and into the restaurant industry. And I learned how to, how to properly carry myself and properly talk. And when I'm talking to people, talk to them in their eye and not just sort of talking and wandering off over here. Sure. If I'm going to shake your hand, I'm going to look you in the eye and shake your hand, um, which was hard during 2020. Sure. But uh, it's it's once you learn that skill, and that's that's the most important. Everything else, everything else is BS. Right. You can learn any industry. You can learn any formulas, any numbers. If you're in sales, you can you can sell cars or roofing or or uh, steaks at a restaurant, but knowing how to talk to the people and how to carry yourself or present yourself is probably the most important asset in in someone's life. What are some traits of a bad manager? (sighs) Skill, personal skill does go into it, but if you have a bad manager who doesn't know how to quickly do transactions on a computer... Or if you have a, a a less skilled manager who who can't get a prep list out in time or makes mistakes on the schedules, but everyone loves him, 
then you really don't have a bad manager. Right. So it's difficult to answer that question on what makes a quote unquote bad manager because you have two different aspects of sure. being a managerial. You have the people aspect. Do Does the staff like you? Do they trust you? Do they respect you? Like and respect, two different things. Sure. It's completely two different things. Fresh out of college, I thought respect was hanging out with the staff and going to the local bar and buying them drinks. That wasn't that wasn't respect. That was like. Respect was earned pardon me. Respect was earned by showing knowledge of whatever I was teaching and knowledge of uh, the industry and showing skill. Sure. So there is a little bit of gray area in answering that question. You can be terrible at the X factor over here, but if everyone likes you, sorry, if everyone respects you, then this over here doesn't really mean mean a difference. Sure. And so taking that experience now and you kind of kind of surmise and put together all of that experience that you have in your restaurant, mm -hmm. what are did you change any like the practice of the flow or the events or the things like that you guys do on a daily or weekly or monthly basis or whatever, like kind of kind of doctor up the process from what you learned in the restaurant industry as you were approaching your new industry? Uh, yes and no. So I mean, I went from I went from a restaurant that had 200, 240 different employees in three different languages. Right. To a family-owned small, I don't want to say mom and pop, but a family-owned restoration company, yeah, local, exterior restaurant, local company. local company. So our local company has 17 employees now. So it's diverse, but we all speak English. Half of us know Spanish because the majority of exterior restoration actual physical workers are speaking Hispanic. Spanish as well as they're Hispanic. Um, so it's one of those, it's knowing how to talk to three different groups of people in three different languages and managing 60 member staffs all at once down to managing four salespeople, five salespeople at a time. Now, I don't, even though I'm the sales manager over here, I'm not directly responsible for the accountant or the uh, secretarial office staff. I'm just in charge of the sales staff. So I went from having to manage a 60 person prep staff and cook staff and dish staff. Oh, and then keeping on the front of house manager who's usually less seasoned, making sure that they're taking care of the serving staff and the host staff and the busing staff and the bartending staff to managing six salespeople. It's a cakewalk. Was it? Yeah. Was it? Cakewalk. So were you nervous? Not at all. Wow. Because again, with in the restaurant that I was in, the menu was changing every three weeks. Mm -hmm. Not necessarily the main menu, but a certain section of the menu was sure. changing every three weeks. Sure. So it's every three weeks I have to learn a new learn a new prep item. I have to learn a new cook item. So I gotta prep the veggies or prep the steaks, however it is, and then I have to actually cook it on the line. Mm -hmm. And then I have to learn how to plate it. Then I have to learn how to teach the service how to sell it. And then I have to order the materials. So now I have to reorganize my six-page organizational sheet to, to put in the one item that just got popped in and then figure out where to put it on the shelf. And then oh, I have to figure out, all right, I've never ordered this item before, so I have no idea how many I'm going to sell. So I have to order enough to where the point it doesn't go bad, but also order enough to where it's not just right. I run out. Right. And then it's... 
I'm constantly adapting and learning, and my right. mind is so trained to constantly adapting. There's more moving adapting. parts yeah. in that world. A lot more moving parts. Is in the there anything industry. that was more difficult with managing the sales people? Not at this time, no. Really? Because it's one That's of those. Surprising. It's it's. Seems like you have to temper a lot more expectations though, because you your expectations yeah. of getting a job and going into a restaurant of what you're going to make and what you're going to do and what your day is going to be built like, yeah, is a lot different than the aspirations and what success is deemed as a really good salesperson. Yeah, you know what I mean. So it's one of those things where it's you know I I came in now I didn't I was never in the sales industry. I like to say that I could teach servers how to sell a menu or sell an item, or sell a drink. So I guess I was in the sales a little bit. But, uh, you know, we I just had this conversation today. If I, go to, if I go to a restaurant, and I look at the menu, and the price of the steak is $49.95, I don't look at the server and say, you know, I really want this steak for $49.95. And you guys have a great company, and you produce this steak for $49.95 beautifully. But you know what? I can go to another restaurant and get the same steak for $43. Can can you can you match their price? That would be completely unheard of. Right. You'd be like, all right, well, go there then. So in the exterior renovation or uh, construction industry, since there are 2,500 registered roofers in the state of Georgia, you know, it's it's one of those, it's, I have to, I have to figure out how to make myself and my company stand out. Sure. So now it's, now, it's, now you're selling the whole brand. Yes. Now I'm not just selling myself. I'm selling the company because it's all the same product. We all get the same materials, all the same construction materials from you know, local distributors. Hell, a homeowner can go to Home Depot or Lowe's and purchase a GAF, which is the brand of shingles. They can purchase those shingles off the store. But now it's now I have a homeowners when I'm saying, hey, I can do your roof for $10,000. And they say, well, this guy over here said they can do the same roof for nine. Oh, okay, well, why, why am I paying you 10 when they say I can do it for nine? Well, here's why. And that's where it's, that's where we dive into, you know, the history of the company, which is they've been around for 13 years, which is really not long. Right. But when the majority of roofing companies go out of business every four to five years, and the majority of construction companies go out of business nine to ten years, and we've been around for thirteen. Uh, okay, we're well, doing something right. Sure. Yeah. Sure. So, what was? T- tell me this, and you're you're probably, um, I'm not sure, you know, what your answer will be to this. So, like, yeah, mm-hmm. as you're kind of managing the day to day process and everyone's specific um, experience mm-hmm. at the restaurant that you're working for. Yeah. What? How do you use like the feedback and the data and like the experiences that you get through s- different sales? opportunities and like, Oh, I need to do this better next time. Like what, what, mm. what did that like feedback process? How, how did that change in your mind as a salesperson? Because I know you're looking at those opportunities and you're saying, Oh, here's what I did wrong. Or here's what I did well, which resulted in a green or a red number to my bank account. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So like a, there's a direct correlation between, you know, I look in the mirror and I say, I did good on two sales and I did bad on two sales today. Where, okay. where in, where in your restaurant industry, you don't say, these people had a really bad experience, whether mm-hmm. they're the CEO or they're the people that saved their money for a month. They had a bad experience. That's how this is the reflection on my restaurant. But I still say made the same money today. Yeah. You know, is that a different experience as well? Yes, yes, and no. So it's one of those, it's in the restaurant industry, <clears throat> your 
the the thought process of these sales staff, aka the bartenders and the servers. Um, in our country, servers and bartenders are paid below minimum wage at an hourly rate. So a server, I think the state of Georgia, it's $2.85 an hour. So the majority of their pay is based off of a tips. gratuity or a tips. Um, they like to say 20% is kind of the standard, quote unquote standard. But you have all sorts of different people from different aspects of life who say, well, I only pay 15%. Or me, I don't base it off a percentage. So if I go pick up to-go food at a Chinese restaurant and my my low main is 10 bucks, all right, well, maybe I'll give them a $5 tip. Now, technically, that's 50%, but I know in my mind, all right, if I'm buying a $10 lunch and 20% is $2, all right, well, what the hell are they going to do with $2? Right. I can't even buy a gallon of gas for $2. Right. So it goes back to its, um, from that aspect, how do I know if I did a good job as a server is based off of, already, did I receive a high percentage of tip? Or do I leave a low percentage tip? And even then, I can't fully justify that because some people will pay 20% regardless if I did a good job or if I did a bad job because they are giving people. There are some people who are going to pay 15% whether I did a bad job or a poor job. Some people say, hey, I don't think it's my responsibility to leave a tip. That should be the restaurant responsibility. There's a bunch of other countries in the world where they actually pay servers off of a an actual dollar amount per hour, but they don't receive tips. It's not it's not in their culture. In Italy, it's not the culture to leave a tip right. because the servers are paid by the hour. But mm-hmm. that's just in the American culture, that's how it is. So going back to the question of how do I know if I did a good job or bad job as a server, it's sometimes based off of my percentage of gratuity or majority of time it's based off of positive and negative reviews either called directly to the restaurant or left on google or yelp or yahoo or aol or whatever website you're doing searches on to to look at a restaurant and reviews and hey this server tim smith was fantastic you need to go see tim or hey this server uh janet was terrible and don't go see janet whereas now we're going over to the restoration side the only way I know as a salesperson on the construction side whether I did a good job or bad job is, well, one, if they signed the contract with me, I did a good job. So that's that's definitely a key one. If they signed a contract, then I definitely did my job proper. Um, and secondly, what if they didn't sign the contract on day one? What if they have to you know, discuss it over with their, their husband or wife or spouse or what if they have to secure financing before they, they sign a contract? So maybe there's a time delay. So one of the processes that we implement is we do what's called a rehash. So after the salesperson leaves, my uh, my head of HR will contact that client for that set appointment and just say, hey, I'm, I'm so-and-so from Pro Roofing and Siding and just want to follow up on the salesperson and see how they did. Did they show up on time? Yes or no? Ask them. Were they professional and courteous? Yes. Okay. Did they show you a presentation? Yes. All right. The last question they ask is, um, 
if you're uh, 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 if you're deciding on moving forward, uh, what will be your deciding factor whether or not you're moving forward? Um, oh, well, it's, he was fantastic, but you guys are too expensive. And then that salesperson will be messaged with all those responses, as long as the owner, uh, as well as with the owner and me as a sales manager. So if I go to an appointment and I don't get the contract signed, which is usually my thumbs up of, yeah, you did a fantastic job. I'll sign the contract right away. Now I have a little bit of more feedback, more feedback, exactly, coming right. from the client to say, already, did I do something wrong? Was I too fast in my presentation? Was I too slow? Then was I not memorable enough? Was I too monotoned? You know, did I not convey as or come across as a human being? Or did I come across as just another sales guy? Sure. Sure. Well, it makes a lot of sense, you know, and I think that yeah. you really have a good understanding on management as a whole, you know, yeah. and business as a whole, you know, honestly, your, your acumen there for understanding what all these processes are to make business successful is very rare. Yeah. Um, so I'm interested to see how it goes for you and how things continue to develop. I have to ask, you know, what, what would you rather be the best at? Would you rather be the very best in the restaurant industry or the very best in the industry that you're in now? Have you kind of turned your back on the restaurant industry? Um, I don't, I, I never say never. Right. Because as, as we learned, you know, uh, growing up, I, I fell in love with the restaurant industry and I was like, you know what? I want to own my own restaurant. How do I do that? All right. Well, I need to go learn how to run it. So I researched schools and Florida State University had one of the best hospitality administration schools. So went there and got my degree in hospitality administration to learn how to run a restaurant. And then I got into the restaurant industry. And I was like, oh, I, I don't see my mother on Mother's Day. Or, and I don't see my father on Father's Day. And what, 4th of July? Oh, wait, well, the 4th of We're July. We're busy that day. 4th of July, we have a huge takeout, so we have to have all hands on deck. Right. Oh, and already, well, you got Christmas off last year, so... Or we're clo- that restaurant was closed on Christmas Day. But Christmas Eve, you had Christmas Eve off last year, so... I get it off this year, okay? Uh, well, I had Thanksgiving all last year, so you get Thanksgiving off this year. Sure. So now it's when I got out of the restaurant industry, we were we were closed on Fourth of July. I didn't have appointments. Right. I looked at my wife and I was like, I don't know what to do. Right. It was the first time I was able to call my mother on Mother's Day at a reasonable time, and it wasn't at seven o'clock when I'm taking a break from being in the restaurant from nine to midnight. And I'm shoving a piece of pizza down my throat and I'm making a quick phone call in the back storeroom. Hey, mom, happy Mother's Day. Sure. Love you. Bye. Sure. So it was this. This is what freedom's like. Right. Now, don't get me wrong. I love the restaurant industry. Loved it. Loved it. But it is kind of a I want to I want to say young man's game, but it's kind of a young man's game. It is. You do get burned out after time. Sure. When the wife goes nine to five and I did <laughs> Did the, we did the math once. She was doing nine to five. And in one week, we saw each other consciously or consciously for four hours. It was either I was waking up at 530, hopping in the car to be at the restaurant at six and she's still sleeping. Or I was she was she's got she was going to go work. To, yeah, yeah. And I was sleeping in because I got to go to the restaurant at three o'clock in the All afternoon. Right. And then I won't get home till two a.m. So we did an entire entire seven days. And we saw each other and said hi for four hours. Right. So that's that's the difficulty of the the I experienced that as well when I was in college, when I was in the the 
restaurant industry. I worked for Mellow Mushroom, which was yeah, was pretty cool. A um, lot of prep where it goes, but but very um, abbreviated menu. Uh, it's pizza and wings, you know, salad. You know should, what I mean? It should almost be required. And it's funny because oh, restaurant industry, restaurant industry itself. experience. It should almost be required. Yeah, that that was the experience I have. Was like I really really like the people. Because most of the people in the kitchen were my age. We're in a co- yeah. we're in a college town of a hundred something thousand people. Mm-hmm. Most of the the waitresses are really really cool and really really pretty and a really really good time. <laughs> like it, it was fun. It, yeah. it, Mellow Mushroom is a fun place. But you sit in there and you get there at eight o'clock in the morning on Saturday, and then you get off at six. But the UGA game started at three thirty. Yeah. So you have to stand in the restaurant while no one's there. Yeah. No, zero people are here. Because they're all at the game. They're all at the game. Or they're all tailgating. For sure. Yep. So zero people are here. And before that and after that, you are as busy as you've ever been in your life. Mm. But during that game, it calms down. So you have to sit there and watch the game in the middle of mushroom. And then wait for the, the rush to happen after the game and control the rush. And then hand that off to the people you trust to do your job. So I was like, yep. I won't be doing this anymore, man. I, I was like, the, the confinement of my time is is intense you know and i'm in college and like you know it's fun but i can't i can't work here until 2 a.m and serve drinks every night i can't yeah. do that i've got i have 8 a.m on friday morning you yeah. know like and again it's you know it's going back to the sort of the mandatory thing it's i always joked around because the the country of israel requires its citizens to be you know in trained mm-hmm. in military service and if you're coming from the restaurant industry the majority of of seasons people in the restaurant industry all agree that hey restaurant industry experience should be required for sure because you don't know how to not treat somebody until you've been treated like crap as sales a is the same way yeah i think sales is the other one probably that should be required yeah you know and and it, they're hand in hand but they're different it's like sometimes and and because you wear you have to wear your customer service hat sometimes of in the restaurant industry. It's like yeah. you have to go out there and talk to people when they are pissed off. Yeah, and it, you didn't cook any of it, and you didn't bring it to them, and you haven't talked to them, you didn't see them nope. anything. But you I'm, have to go I'm out there and talk to them while they are <laughs> pissed off. Yep, nuclear sales is the same way sometimes. It's like you you catch people on bad days at weird times that are going through weird stuff in their life that don't really want to hear what you have to say right now, and you have to wear that like a champ and walk next door. Yep. You know what I mean? So like it, it builds a um it builds a membrane around you that is uh it's tough to shell. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Is like you your your skin definitely thickens in those two industries. I, I definitely feel that. Yeah. Well this has been pretty cool. What would you do if you weren't doing what you're doing now? Let's say you're you're pandemic, you're looking around, everybody around you is making too much money to be employed there soon and you're thinking, <laughs> I want to get out of here and you don't choose the direction that you go with pro roofing where do you go so legit there was a six-week time period from when i took my exit from the restaurant industry in between during the pandemic in between finding home Mm -hmm. at pro roofing so during that time i was fortunate enough that i had i had gotten the itch about maybe four or five years prior about the stock and options market Mm. so i i've done it all I, I followed YouTube gurus who said, learn this charting on stocks and I can teach you which stocks to blah, blah, blah. And never paid for any courses. It was all free YouTube stuff. And I probably blew up two different accounts, which is, hey, money is gone. Right. And then after that, I found my bread and butter in the options market. Sure. 
You know, uh, what's great about the options market is you don't necessarily have to be directional. Right. I don't need the stock to go up or to go down. It can just go sideways. I can do something, a trade, which is as long as the stock stays in between these two prices at the end of the week or at the end of the five days or time period, then I make my money. Yeah. So I was fortunate enough to figure out. So my- basically the options is you, you're making money for holding on to the stock for a certain period of time so yeah. that a company doesn't see a reduction. E, kind of. Well, we can spend a whole podcast on, on the sure. options I'm market. Sure. So if if you ever want to get in the options market, hit up Tasty Trade on YouTube and they'll teach you everything you need to know. Really? Long story short, I don't try to do the GameStop and the AMC and look for 500% gains. Mm. I like my 5% gain a week. Right. Maybe 10%, 5 to 10% every single week and I'm happy with that. Sure. So I keep I would about be too. I keep about $25,000 in the account and that pulls me about 2 grand a month. Sure. So during my 6 weeks that ability cool. that ability was able to pay the bills. Sure. Wasn't able to pay down debt or, you know, That's couldn't go on vacations, cool but sure. And well, it you're took, making 500 bucks a week off of uh, Yeah. And it took 4 years. It took 4 years, 5 years. And Our friend here, Tristan, got paid Bitcoin. What did you get paid Bitcoin for? Oh, the Bitcoin. Yeah, but what what was it originally? It was somebody paid you for what? <laughs> I bought a fake ID. Oh, yeah. yeah. $100, and I had like 40 left over. In Bitcoin. 40 but, actual coins? $40. Oh, 40, oh, 40 bucks it. worth like of Bitcoin. 2016, I think is when I did it. So yeah. this guy's like got a new cell phone or something and, and like automatically looked in his yeah. wallet. And so that Bitcoin has appreciated over time to yeah. like a hundred times what it was worth. No, there's, there's so this guy randomly like found $5,000 that he had <laughs> there one There's one gentleman who is suing one of the, the wallets, the wallet companies, because he got locked out of his account and he bought like a thousand bitcoins when it was like five cents and it's worth a couple billion dollars and sure. he's locked out of his password he can't get into it which sucks i wouldn't let his ass in either the whole the whole cryptocurrency God. again we can do in a whole nother podcast on that but i just i look at the i look at the 10-year chart of bitcoin and it does this and dips down and does this and now it's dipped down a little bit and it looks really familiar uh, there's an old there's an old graph called tulip mania, which happened back in the 1600s, and it was when they first discovered uh, uh, the tulip flower, and all the fashion designers in France and London and England and that that mm-hmm. old area were like, oh, we have to have these tulips. So the price of tulips did this, and crashed down three years later. It's called. Right. It was the first alleged first bubble, so to speak. Right. So do I think Bitcoin and cryptocurrency is a bubble? No. But if I'm going to... Could be. If yeah. I, could be. If the right thing, wrong thing happens. I used to own stock in Blockbuster. Right. How'd that go for you? <laughs> yeah. I, I remember, I remember buying Blockbuster at $30 a share. Right. Now yeah. it's not even on the pink list. It's there's it only be. There's only one Blockbuster open. Well, I think it's the ne- original, ne- right? Yeah. Uh, no, not the original, but Netflix did a documentary on it. It's out, uh, yeah, it's that's out in what Oregon. It is. That's what it is. Yeah. You can actually, uh, uh, I bought me and my wife some Blockbuster t-shirts, which was kind of cool. Yeah. But at the same time, I used to own stock in Waste Management, you know, the trash company. Mm-hmm. I bought that back in 2008 when it was $20 a share. You wish you still had it. I sold it at $30 a share because I yeah. thought, man, I made 30%. Yeah. It's $140 right now. Right. Right. So it's... 
oh, Bitcoin's going to go up. Okay. That's what I'm going to start doing is buying stuff and then just locking myself out of wallets. Yeah. Seeing which one does well at some point <laughs> in my life. Oh, man. Well, that's pretty cool, man. I yeah. want to do two more things. Tell people how they can find you if they want to talk with you more. So um, as much as I want to give out the the work, the personal work number, I, I got my phone blown up as much as possible. So right now, so if you go to myproroofing.com. That is our website to uh, to hit us up for any exterior renovations. We like I said, we do do interior some stuff, but you know we try to keep it vacant. Sure. Um, so we do uh, primarily residential. We do do commercial properties as well. Um, we love working with insurance companies and especially realtors because realtors are always in everyone's houses. Sure. A lot more than we are, and they're always looking for stuff to be repaired really quickly so we have that they have that ability for a quick turnaround so sure. myproroofing.com uh so hit up that website and then of course we have a facebook and the instagram and the snappy chats or i don't know about the snap but uh we got the facebook and the instagram i don't know if we have a twitter or not i should probably look into that i sure. don't ha- i don't have a twitter sure well i never never hopped on the twitter train yeah well it's pointless. Yeah. It's a stupid train. So, um, well, last thing I got to ask you is, like I said, the podcast is called Burn the Ship. Okay. You know, and, and you made a big leap from yeah. industry to industry. Yeah. You found home. It's going well. Yeah. What do you have to say to those people out there that are weighing their options for whatever reason as to what they want to do with their business and their life and their time and their industry and their wives in Birmingham and all those things? You know, it was it was a restaurant movie. It was a restaurant movie. But it was, uh, it came out back in 2014, and it was called Chef. John Favreau was the lead character, and he was a chef in a restaurant, and he, he wasn't happy. He wasn't happy. And he found his niche that made him happy. So to answer that question is, even though... Whether you're not in the restaurant industry, if you're in some other industry, if you wake up and you dread going to work, or if you wake up and you look in the mirror and you are not happy, you only have one life. You only got one life. On average, the U.S., I think we're living to like 80, 90 something, you know, but you got cancer, you got COVID, you got... Might not be you. You got all this, all these things. There's too many things out there to kill you. Right. So there's no guarantee that you're going to live to 90 or to 100. God bless you if you do. So if you wake up and you're not happy, you have to make a change. Yeah, go be happy. You got to make a change. Sure. Well, good, man. I agree. I completely agree. I'm happy to do what I do now. I'm happy that you do uh, what you do now and you're happy about it. So. Oh, yeah. Cool. We'll keep spreading this message, my friend. I look forward to uh, to having you back in, seeing how things are going. Yeah, definitely. We'll definitely come in and we'll do a we'll do a stocks and options podcast. Yeah, you should. Oh you should. Yeah. We've had some financial advisors that are like, oh, I can't talk about this, that, and the third. And I'm like, I need somebody with no certifications that is cool with that. That's that's yeah, me. Giving some stock options. <laughs> giving some. Advice that's me, on the man. Podcast. I'll give I'll give all advice. You just have to make sure you put a little disclaimer. Hey, this yeah. <laughs> we have papers to sign for that yeah, one for sure. Yeah. Please <laughs> contact your financial advisor before you put you know. Your life savings into GameStop. Yeah, 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 I agree. Yeah, I agree. Well, cool, man. Well, we're done. Excellent. Fantastic. We're out of here. Thanks. See you, everybody.